Met de Green Deal zou Europa binnen 30 jaar klimaatneutraal moeten zijn. De uitstoot van broeikasgassen zal worden gecompenseerd... waardoor dit geen invloed meer heeft op de klimaatverandering. De EU benadrukt wel dat tussentijdse streefdoelen belangrijk zijn. Premier Medvedev van Rusland heeft het aftreden van zijn regering aangekondigd. President Poetin buigt zich nu over een nieuw te vormen kabinet. Medvedevs aftreden komt na de jaarlijkse toespraak van Poetin voor het Russische parlement... waarin hij bekendmaakte dat hij grondwettelijke veranderingen wil doorvoeren. De premier stapt op om Poetin alle ruimte te geven. Medvedev wordt nu de tweede man van de Russische Veiligheidsraad. Er moet heel veel veranderen in de ouderenzorg. Dat is de conclusie van een onderzoek onder leiding van oud-minister Wouter Bos. Volgens de commissie moeten er veel meer woningen komen of worden aangepast... waar senioren zelfstandig kunnen blijven wonen. Vanwege de vergrijzing ziet Bos mogelijkheden voor nieuwe woonvormen... als stap tussen het oude huis en het verpleeghuis. Het rapport is overhandigd aan minister De Jonge van Volksgezondheid. Tijdens de eerste zitting rond de moord op strafrechtadvocaat Wiersum... heeft verdachte Guillermo B. ontkend betrokken geweest te zijn bij de liquidatie. Volgens zijn advocaat lijkt hij ook niet op het signalement dat de politie voor ogen heeft. Het Openbaar Ministerie zegt desondanks veel bewijzen tegen hem te hebben. Een verzoek om het voorarrest van B. in te trekken werd door de rechtbank afgewezen. En dan nog het weer. Eerst nog wat regen, later vanuit het westen opklaringen en droog. Vannacht helder met brede opklaringen, het wordt 2 tot 5 graden. U luistert naar RTV Maastricht. Wednesday evenings from 6 until 7 on 107.5. So 
episode of Student Radio Maastricht. Welcome to all our returning listeners and our new listeners. The track you just heard was Vesuvius by Lisette van Loo. Um, shout out to Lisette. She's one of the local Maastricht musicians and this is part of our project to play as much Maastricht music as possible. Um, today we're going to speak about Iran. This is our big Iran episode. And with me in the studio, I'm Sachit. Nice to see all of you. With me is uh, Rafao. Hello, hello. Uh, Professor Shoki Hayer. Hello. And uh, Ruby on tech. Hey, hey. And Katinka is also learning tech. Hello. Our intern. Yes. Our intern. <laughs> For today. Always useful <laughs> to have an intern on radio. So, um, to get straight to the topic, um, the reason we are talking about Iran uh, is because, well, Iran has been in the news a lot recently. And uh, Rafao and I have been wondering why. Yeah, why, huh? <laughs> yeah, so after, you know, after, a, a, let's say, a three-day-long bath of Wikipedia articles, we are not much smarter about the topic, but we're going to try. Well, after binge-watching so many documentaries, I hope I have some information about it. Yeah. But uh, Professor will, like, double-check us, huh? But, uh, so j just, just shortly, a bit about how we're going to run this episode. Mm -hmm. I have uh, been in touch with some people of Iranian origin, to uh, figure out what it seems like from the inside because the news we get is always, it's a bubble. Exactly. Yeah, and the news is, uh, especially if you read the news in English, it's very Western focused, very... And Ameri biased as well. Biased, America, mm. UK leaning. And uh, Rafao has been doing some research of his own. Mm -hmm. and well, we, we both were actually. Yeah. Just like different approach, slightly different approach, I think. And we have uh, Shoki who will uh, give us the ac academic insight um, being uh, from FASOS. And we also have independent political observer Tico, who, who just entered. Who just entered? Hello, Tico. In case you were hearing some noise behind us. in the background. Let mm -hmm. us call it the soundtrack. The soundtrack. The soundtrack. <laughs> so, um, Rafa, where do you Tell think me. this? Where do you think all of this started? Uh, well, that's a good question, right? Because and I mean, what started? Let's let's say the recent exchange of missiles between the U.S. and Iran. That's that's what that's how that's how we started. Right? Mm -hmm. That's how we began talking about this. Yeah, exactly. So how, how our idea for the topic came to be was just uh, what exactly happened that was on the 3rd of January. That's right. Correct me if I'm wrong. The yeah. assassination of General Soleimani. Soleimani yeah. um, which essentially like incited um, a crisis between US and Iran like right. overnight from out of blue from at least that's how it seemed to me and like a lot of observers too. Um, and while we are discussing this, like how it came to be, we wanted to initially like do this topic, but then throughout research, we found out that like the actual reasoning for like why things happened, there's like at first we thought is the revolution in 79. But once we referred to that, um, we needed to ask the questions like, how did the revolution happen in the first place? What were the reasons? And like the more I was digging into it, um, I, I essentially like because we have limited amount of time, right? We can date, date it back to like 800s, you know? But That's exactly what one of my interviewers had said when mm. I asked. Where does this all begin as an open-ended question? And exactly. I had fully expected to hear it began with the Islamic Revolu Revolution in mm. 1979. But the answer I got was that it, it began in the 8th century. 8th century. Yeah, with we the original invasion of Iran and the deposing of the of, of, of Cyrus's regime. Not not Cyrus himself, but uh, the, the, the regime. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that, so we have to limit our scope at some point, and I think it's good to start with the 20th century. Essentially, yeah, that's like that. That would be like one of the closest, but like still like important foundational reference points, like what happened in 1900s. Like 
uh, what essentially happened was that um, Anglo-Persian oil company was being formed right. in Iran. And like you may know the, this company right now as BP oil, yeah. um, which is actually a crazy thing to think of. Um, so what happened was that in 1908, like the Anglo-Persian oil company was being formed. Um, on the re- using or uh, getting the resources from Iran, but like the crazy thing about it was that the fifty-one percent of the shares was, were owned by the British. Right. So that's like a serious case of well, colonialism. Colonialism, you will, yeah. You know? So like that was the initial point, and like from that, um, yeah, it was essentially a turmoil because, as I said, we initially we wanted to talk only about the revolution itself, but once I started looking up like how did the re- revolution happen, there are like coup d'etats, at least two of them, you know, there was a right. constant infighting, there was a, the Shah returned to the country twice, uh, he got exiled twice as That's well, right. you know, yeah. in between there was a revolution, in between there was a, a, a brief a nationalization of, of the oil industry, of the oil industry, right, and the country as well, it seemed like very progressive for a while, right, and then everything changed. Indeed. So when did everything begin to change? Let's let's uh, zoom back to let's say the 1970s, mm-hmm. the last years of the rule of of the Shah. Maybe one of our guests would like to say something about this because Perhaps. we are speaking out our minds. But professor, uh, yes, I would. Uh, uh, so what caused like something? What happened? What were the years prior to it? Like why did the revolution actually take place? Okay, yeah, the revolution, which is uh, called the White uh, uh, Revolution, yes. uh, did not start on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, when we look, when we want to look at the, uh, the internal affairs of Iran, we also need to put uh, the Iranian case within the uh, global context. And of course, it was exactly. happening around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you already touched it upon. Uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, anti-Western sentiment. Mm-hmm. Or, or anti-Western culture within the Muslim world, and this was as a result of uh, uh, colonialism, uh, mm-hmm. neo-colonialism uh, uh, at the time uh, that Muslims uh, felt uh, inferior. Mm-hmm. They felt Oppressed. that, yeah, they felt that uh, 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 the West's uh, the, the domination. Uh, was not right mm-hmm. uh, and and what uh, most of these movements did uh, at the time was uh, there was a combination of nationalism uh, in addition to that there was also uh, pan-Islamism uh, mm-hmm. so they, that's right yeah, yeah so they combined uh, Islam uh, with uh, nationalism uh, to mobilize uh, the nation during the time of social turmoil right yeah. because yeah. at first it was like uh, from what I understood, uh, the well, the last Shah, the Reza the Second, Mohammed the Reza the Second, um, he after they uh, took over the oil industry, he started pumping all the revenues into like creating schools mm. and whatnot to increasing the quality of life, also yeah. essentially offering like higher standards. But at some point, like the bubble had to pop. Yeah. Like the the lower like working class realized that like that's what what is on the offer, and they started the turmoil, yeah. right? The cassettes yeah. from Khomeini, I think he was yeah. in the exile in Paris, right? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, Khomeini himself, uh, mm-hmm. the rise of uh, uh, the, the cleric uh, mm. Khomeini, uh, he was also arrested uh, for a few times, and mm-hmm. he was in exile in uh, Iraq think, first. Iraq first. Najaf, uh, I think that was yeah, the, yeah, yeah, for fifteen years, and 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 the the main uh, reason uh, for the revolution was. Uh, uh, the anti-Western uh, sentiment right. mm-hmm. and yeah. the Westernization uh, process uh, of their country, yes, yeah. of their country. We uh, we are gonna switch to uh, Darius Saleh Sodehezar. We uh, did, during this episode we tried to expose you people to Iranian music from before the revolution. So have a listen. Okay.
سال سقوط سال فرار سال گریز و انتظار فصل شکفتن فلز سال سیاه دو هزار سال سقوط عاطفه تا بی نهایت زیر صفر نهایت مراج زن اندیشه تفسیر صفر ذهن ماشین های سر معنای عشق و احتیاط روی نباره Dariush, yeah. Saleh Dohizar, if you pronounce it right. Um, yeah. None of us speaks Farsi here, I believe. But we have to try our best. Mm. But it's interesting to be Dariush because uh, Dariush comes from uh, the pre-revolution generation. Exactly. Although I believe he's also been active in the post-revolutionary years outside of Iran. Outside of Iran, yeah. yeah. He was making recordings. As Indeed, well. and this kind of uh, brings out the the massive cultural difference between pre- and post-revolutionary mm. is, uh, Iran because post-revolutionary Iran had. Uh, well, they, they they had Islamic law, and a lot of the artists, entertainers, and other uh, creators of cultural content could not operate within Iran. Mm-hmm. So there That's was true. a tough decision that most of them had to take. Some went into exile mm-hmm. and continued performing, all and some, for instance, uh, Gugush, who we will play later in this broadcast, decided to stay in post-revolutionary Iran and was inactive as a performer for the next twenty-one years. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. But let's get back to where we were. That's so, true. Uh, speaking about the uh, about the about the seventies, the yeah, the seventies. Like there were some. Like as I said, we wish we I wish we had more time to talk about all of this because there's so many crazy facts that actually happened just in seventies. Um, like for example, when Iran increased the oil prices yeah. on their own for by fourteen percent, which essentially crippled um, Western economies for like right. quite a bit, right? Which essentially also like angered the, them to and made them like take action against Iran in the in the long run but like another thing is like uh, the hostage situation which happened in which year was it 1988 I think Did, uh, are you referring it. to the hostage crisis during the revolution yeah exactly when that's like a bit that's a bit further into the future but let, let's mm. talk about what uh, what happened as a result of the increase in oil prices because that was a very controversial move within Iran and outside of Iran within Iran as well it, it, it increased their inflation by a lot indeed like also by and uh, it, it, it it made clear that the Shah was a massive international socio so, uh, sorry uh, economic and political power mm. and uh, that's how that's how the Shah began to be perceived as a threat by people who Formerly were his allies, yeah. and uh, that's why you had you then had the West who supported the revolution, mm. in fact, 
and uh, I remember one of my interviewees mentioning that the Shah could not find uh, political asylum uh, after during the rev- revolution anywhere, no Western no, countries, right. none of the former allies of Iran, and he eventually went to Egypt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he even asked the U.S. for uh, to to grant him asylum because he had cancer at the time of the exile, so right. he needed treatment, and they refused him even right, on like that did. basis. Yeah, so. because they were busy supporting the revolutionaries mm. because they thought that the revolution, uh, the post-revolutionary Islam Iran would be more e- easier to control. Uh, we have our political observer Tico here. Would 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 Tico like to weigh in upon everything that we've said so far? Hello, thank you for having me. Um, Introduce yourself since you missed the introduction. Yeah, my name is Tico, and I study at the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences. Um, I am also very interested with the topic since I do come from the region. I don't speak Persian. I am uh, an Arab. I speak Arabic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have seen the influence of Iran rising a lot in the region following the aftermath of the what they call the Arab Spring. Um, I think so far that you have given really nice content on mm. the historical content on what happened in Iran. Not even full on because there's too much content, even in the last hundred years. So. Absolutely. When you're talking about the Middle East, it's very contested. It's mm. always coming from multiple different dimensions. But I think one of the remarkable things about the revolution in Iran is that now we call it the Islamic Revolution. Right. Mm-hmm. But actually, it was essentially just a revolution against Social the Social Revolution of the, of the Shah. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So it involved anti Western sentiments coming from um, Islamic forces, mm-hmm. but also from communists. The Tude, the Iranian Communist Party, they were taking an active part against the Shah, who was supported right. by the West, mm-hmm. but also from the liberals, viewing him as a reactionary monarchy, etc., etc. And in one documentary sh- uh, uh, by Al Jazeera as well, it was interviewing Iranian intellectuals, and some of them took part of the uprising. And they were saying that we used to ridicule Islamic clerks mm-hmm. and say that they are taking part of our movement. Sure, it's a mass movement, but they will never make it to power. So the coming of Khomeini to power as uh, the, the, and the installment of this guardianship of the jury, they yeah. call it Wilayat al-Faqih, mm-hmm. that uh, kind of the spiritual leadership of a certain figure that is standing above politics. Right. When this became absolute, the people were shocked. The communists were shocked. The liberals were shocked. But they were also weakened, right, by the rule of Shah in the last 10 years, like the Savak, I think. The the special police was actually imprisoning a lot of like political dissidents and intellectuals. Yeah. And so he weakened the country in the first place, like before the or incited some of it. I mean, from the from what I understood. At least. Khomeini specifically. Uh, no, the, the Shah, the Reza, during his. Definitely. Yeah. Because as you said, nobody accepted the Shah mm-hmm. to, to, to ask for asylum. So at one point, it was literally a struggle just to stay in power. And for Western countries, you know, at some point, the party that you're betting on is losing. It's wise to pull what you have left of money and try to put it somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. Because he's just losing all credits and the revolution is going to take place. So we better find a new ally to support, to make sure that the new person that comes in is also a CIA puppet in, mm. in Iran. But it's, it's also very interesting because this is coming at the same time that uh, uh, the United States is still trying to fight the Soviet Union in the context of the Cold War. And there has been incidents in the 1980s where yeah. the United States government Shot down. Oh, leaked no. information leaked. to the Iranian yeah. government and collaborated with the Islamic government of Iran to, to outlaw today the Communist Party of Iran mm. and to persecute Soviet spies inside Iran. That CIA, uh, Khomeini collaboration or uh, Iranian government, the Islamic government. No, the, the oppression like of, of, of groups and like the weird collaborations were always yeah. at the heart of like this thing. Yeah. Um, 
I would have a question to, well, thank you for like the, the great breakdown as well, but I would have a question to you, Sashid, because you also interviewed uh, some people of Ira- Iranian origin, right? Right. What was their opinion on the revolution or like on the aftermath of it? Like, yeah, th- did they? thanks, Raf. That's exactly what I wanted to jump in with because it's very interesting to speak to real Iranians about this. Um, one of my interviewees gave me an extremely interesting breakdown of how uh, Reza, the Shah, was an American puppet and he, that's how I ruled until 1979. Khomeini was an English dog, and Khamenei is potentially a Russian dog. <laughs> and there you have, <laughs> in puppets and dogs, the history of modern Iran. Essentially. Essentially. Um, but another thing, another impression that I got strongly from my interviews is that uh, all Iranian problems are Islamic in origin. Which is to say that all, all of Iran's politics is intricately linked to the history and politics of Islam itself, mm-hmm. as, as it uh, manifests in the Arabian Peninsula and in the Sunni-Shia divide. Mm. Because, uh, and in fact, my, one of my interviews even mentioned that he, um, they, view the, they view the current intervention of uh, America and the West in the Middle East as a sort of modern image of the crusade, Crusades from the 11th century. And I have to say it's an appealing it's an appealing image. I don't know how you could back that or how or how relevant it is, but it's quite interesting. Hmm. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, would uh, would um, Shoki like to say something? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I uh, think that it's not something that started <laughs> at, uh, at the time of revolution. It's uh, something that also had to do with how the image of Islam was constructed by the West. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it was a movement in the, within uh, the context of Islam in the Middle East uh, the, uh, that was also uh, invaded with uh, nationalism, right. a sense of bright uh, Muslim nation and, or Muslim society. Uh, no, please, please. Yeah, uh, d- that was actually uh, uh, also part of uh, the revolution as well. Mm-hmm. We are going to get back to that after the song. Now we are going to listen to Kurosh Yagmei, Havar Havar, I believe. It's, it's, rather, it's rather funky, psychedelic rock from Iran pre revolution.
چشمم عزیزم هر روز و شب راته بیا به پیشم دل مبتلاته یارم بیای As I sank deeper and deeper into the history of Iran, still barely scratching the surface, I began thinking about the class, uh, the class structure in Iran. Because mm-hmm. um, in the years leading up to the revolution, you, uh, in rather, let's say, in the historiography of the years leading up to the revolution, you see a clear divide. Um, my interviewees, who are of course of a certain uh, class, a certain, they come from a certain strata of society. They have um, a very powerful nostalgia for pre-1979 Islam. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, pre-1979 Iran. And this nostalgia is not always uh, the nostalgia of direct memory, but it is a cultural nostalgia because not all of them were are, are, have lived that time. And it's quite interesting because um, the working class have a very different view of pre-1979 Islam, Iran. Um, but anyway, let's get back to uh, current events. Let's kind of hit, it, hit the nail on the head. And I'd like to ask Shoki a question. I want to ask you why... why this is news because it's very clear that these are conflicts that have long histories they have deep roots and it's not like iran has been quiet for the last 20 years the last 40 years there's been a series of of conflicts there's the always been as well. there's always yeah. been some sort of upheaval so why were these attacks news yes uh, it is news uh, because as you said uh, uh, that the situation uh, uh, iran with the West, uh, but also in the context of the Middle East, has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what this, uh, the, 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 uh, we call the roots of this latest crisis uh, go back to uh, May 2008, uh, 2018, uh, when Donald Trump administration uh, abandoned uh, the nuclear deal. No, that was, the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. that was mm-hmm. actually the, 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 the breaking... Uh, because until that point it was going up the whole relation or like yeah, slowly yeah. but steadily and it, after it that was it was slowly with 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 Barack Obama it was uh, we had uh, the nuclear deal uh, right. in 2015 mm-hmm. so everything seemed to be uh, going to the right direction mm-hmm. uh, but at some point we have uh, Donald Trump and uh, the, 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 the Donald Trump uh, tested Uh, uh, yeah, he tried to strong hand the whole deal, yeah, like put yeah, more embargoes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So yeah. tested how uh, the, the world order or the international system uh, works, and and there are two things uh, that uh, get is the attention of the academia. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is is this really coming from Trump as an individual leader? Right. Uh, is he the person who is deciding all this uh, alone on mm. his own? Or is this something is uh, that policy? also has to do with uh, the, the foreign policy of the United States, which is uh, more structural? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, p- p- could this, uh, the assassination of uh, or the killing of uh, Soleimani has happened if uh, someone else uh, was uh, in the position of Donald Trump? Yeah. The, yeah, the Soleimani, like since we are talking about him, like the opinions of the men are also like very mixed. Like that's did the did the Iranians actually like uh, did your Iranian interviews interviewees actually mention him or like have opinion on the man? And that's a good question, Raf. And uh, yeah, my interviewees, in fact, did not view Soleimani with much importance. Mm. So within Iran, Soleimani is a figure mostly associated with the Sipah, 
with the revolutionary guard mm-hmm. and uh, his political influence in terms of popular pop- popular image is not significant outside of those who do not stand by the regime and here i must also point out that uh, both uh, that my interviewees all believed both believed that 65 to 70% of the population was anti regime of course these numbers are impossible to to substantiate mm-hmm. and the reason we do not have the interview is the reason these interviews are anonymous is that it is uh, that uh, iran as a state does not permit free speech i would like to pick up this point and um, sort uh, ask our independent observer tico a question relating to one of my ramblings from slightly earlier my interviewees were let's say in a broad manner speaking pro shah they had this nostalgia for pre 1979 iran as yeah. a strong cultural producer as a developed <coughs> nation mm-hmm. but uh, not everybody shared this view of pre 1979 islam yeah. because uh, the the iranian left at that point was anti shah yeah the revolution might have, um, the revolution was co-opted by uh, by the islamists but the revolution was mostly a left wing uprising yeah So take initially a, yes indeed so take a, what do you think were the complaints of the left why 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 do these people stand against pre 1979 islam regime iran regime i think there are two things that i would like to flesh out very briefly as to why also i would oppose the regime of the shah in general so the y- first is the concept of nostalgia and this we saw it happening in a couple of countries in the middle east you know that when you're in high school you're like oh i don't want to do this anymore and then you go to the university and you're like i wish i was back in high school right. mm. people forget how oppressive the regime was because of the new type of oppression and i have a lot of iraqi friends who were strongly opposed to saddam hussein after the american invasion they completely forgot how oppressive that regime was and they developed nostalgia for saddam mm. and perhaps the same is going to happen in syria if the assad government fell people will develop nostalgia to it because they will forget how bad that system was but the other part of it is that in my opinion and this is more or less a generalization when we talk about the mid class or the ruling class in the middle eastern region uh, uh, one syrian intellectual called burhan ghalyun he talks about islam and modernity and he explains why uh, uh, the mid classes the upper classes of that region has adopted the culture of the west So from their perspective the question is a question of you know liberty being able to go out with 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 short skirts etc etc and they develop nostalgia for that kind mm-hmm. of stuff but the working class focuses more on material issues and the reaction of the islamic regime was in a way a reaction to this elite that is adopting constantly the western ideology mm-hmm. so in one part it's an anti-modernization attempt of recounseling islam and modernity that makes a lot of people also nostalgic to yeah. the pahlavi because they think that uh, uh, he is the actual modernizing force but on the other hand it's a lot of working class that enjoyed the the the, the or that the shah the, the the islamic regime enjoyed their support because they really wanted to do something against the elite in the country just like and communism essentially i mean the communists or like revolutionary uprising kind of communism is slightly more secular than the of islamic course. regime no 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 of course <laughs> But like uh, speaking of nostalgia Fine like point there. the same in Poland as well like you know all the people who lived under the regime like back then it was a terrible thing but like they also developed Definitely. the same nostalgia for like oh back Definitely. then it was better well it wasn't okay? a lot of french revolutionaries during the 18th century developed nostalgia for the monarchy after seeing the reign of mm. terror normal they just come to forget how oppressive that regime was 
Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting concept, the idea of nostalgia, and uh, there there is there are many examples in living memory even now. Mm-hmm. When you look at the successive American governments, there is nostalgia for the previous American government every single time, no matter what the government was. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, almost like um, anti incumbency, you might call it. And if the Islamic regime is reactionary, then the uh, Shah is absolutely reactionary as well. So in terms of social progress, I don't think. Uh, Uh, much has to be offered by the Shah or the supporters of the Shah, especially at this historical moment. Indeed. Yeah. And it's also interesting what you say about anti-modernization because um, the global elite, uh, so I'm sorry, the Iranian elite before the revolution were clearly heading on a path to westernization. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. A lot of benefits. Well, the working class was completely, well, abused. Huh? Indeed. From the looks of it. Uh, Do you think, Raf, that it's, a, it's time for a song again? Soon enough, soon enough. Soon This enough. is gonna be Gugush, if I pronounce it correctly. The song is called Talak, and it's uh, based on Heaven by uh, Heaven Undermined by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Honestly, I don't Honestly. know because Andrew Lloyd Webber has basically the worst reputation in the music industry with regard to plagiarism, and I'm not sure. Nerd. Let's listen to the song. Come on, Raf. Yeah. 
funky i must say the iranian music before the revolution was just indistinguishable except for like a language from from what was happening around the western media at the same time huh? i would agree with you but i'm still really really <laughs> angry about you calling me a nerd on live radio uh, we have a butthurt nerd here um, wow it just gets worse <laughs> let's talk about iran that's a bit safer uh, a butthurt country whoa <laughs> oh whoa 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 we are gonna cut this we will cut this We cannot cut it. Okay, um, please, let's talk about Iran. Huh? So I'd like to speak now a little bit about the role of America in the region. Because America is a significant player in basically all of global politics, but they have they have a special influence on Iran. And uh, let's let's dive a bit into actual American politics. What are, What is the attitude of the Democrats and the Republicans towards these strikes? Yeah, but a very good question. Uh we we don't know whether this really has to do with uh, uh the structural issues uh, which is beyond the control of any individual or right. even mm. groups uh, yeah. mm-hmm. including the democrats including donald trump or whether this is an structural uh, uh yeah the first thing foreign, i thought when foreign it policy happened. of mm. the united states right yeah because you see when uh, barack obama was the president He saw uh, Russia as a threat, mm-hmm. for right. instance. Huh? While now you see Donald Trump, he doesn't really he care about with uh, yeah. Putin or, or, or Russia. And, and this also raises the question of do you categorize uh, the, the, who is a friend and who is enemy. Mm. Yeah. Although I must here mention that uh, the Stuxnet virus was also released during uh, Barack Obama's reign just a little earlier. And in fact, I would call I would call that much more typical of American behavior with the with the world, which is you know of punishment almost when things don't go their way, and then a rapprochement later with the nuclear deal. Yeah. Would Tico like to say something about this? Yeah, I I would like to have a t- tiny comment on the attitude of the Democrats because you know that the Republicans are messed up. That's a fact. You open the news, you see it directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people who buy into the Democratic rhetoric. Uh, are really getting deceived by what's happening here because the democrats frankly have no problem in uh, uh, bombing and destroying countries i like to call obama the drones president of course yeah, he also has, uh, like uh, most certainly but they, they, they only oppose it when this could possibly lead to a victory or to a triumph of the republicans, of the republicans yeah. so i mean the united states was striking syria a couple of times before right. and the democrats commented on that as being the best policy the best decision trump has implemented since his election few months after when trump is doing these kind of things to enhance his own support in the country now the democrats are all of a sudden against it and i mean i think that's really the issue with the democratic party you know you cannot put a color on them because they are constantly in a constant state of hypocrisy jumping from one position to the other and it is it is really just about advancing their own interest if it's be it the election be it they want to brighten their image to mm-hmm. the rest of the world hunting down terrorists to get reelected that's not something that we should characterize republicans with i think it's inherently characteristic in, in in the government of the united states and you're saying that you create this punishment attitude 
you know right. and the US government is kind of playing the police around the world but I disagree because police come when there is a crime but the US government has gotten so addicted to punishment that they manufacture the crime just they to make up the it. crimes indeed with yeah. a lot of Islamic mm-hmm. terrorism with funding Saudi Arabia with the war on Yemen with funding other countries that are really messed up with funding Pinochet and Chile the a lot of weapons that were used by all the militias was actually like originally delivered by the US or like other governments the well. EU also has a huge role to play maybe you would like to talk about the uh, uh, role of the would yeah, Shoki yeah. like to add about yeah. would Shoki like to add something about the role of the European Union in this region and these crises yes uh, the role of the European Union is not uh, clear mm-hmm. now uh, we know that uh, EU is a uh, has a normative power, mm-hmm. not uh, a military uh, power. We usually like responded to what US did as yeah, some yeah, of the countries, yeah, right? Yeah, and now what we see is that uh, the EU, uh, EU uh, together with the five uh, permanent uh, Security uh, Council Security members, Council members uh, mm-hmm. along with Germany, initiated the, nu- uh, the nuclear deal. Right. Yeah. That was really good, and uh, we thought that uh, we will have a relatively uh, time of of peace, peace mm-hmm. uh, in international uh, relations in world politics and now uh, yesterday uh, we have seen that uh, the european is france germany the uk uh, uh, wanted to pull a diplomatic uh, trigger uh, on the iranian uh, what we call the dispute mechanism mm-hmm. so right. that they need to establish a committee that would investigate uh, whether iranians are uh, uh, doing or 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 uh, fulfilling the commitments that were uh, made uh, in the deal what could it mean to iran if uh, if it's found out or decided that they are not meeting them new yeah, embargoes iran, iran is already uh, reacting uh, to this and they are saying that uh, because of uh, the withdrawal of the united states from the deal mm-hmm. and that the european uh, signatories were not uh, upholding their uh, commitments for instance uh, iran also expected to have a relief on the economic pressure uh, so that's not happening mm-hmm. uh, we see that china and russia are not part of this uh, oh, the, because they never partake, dispute, uh, dispute yeah. uh, resolution mm-hmm. and this would eventually go uh, to the un security council uh, uh, and, and will develop as a as a resolution mm-hmm. probably china and, and and russia will not support uh, but that resolution would uh, finally determine whether the nuclear deal is alive It's or still dead. alive or dead yeah um, and that's also uh, a new development that we have to keep i uh, not please it. yeah mm. Thank you, Shoki. Uh, Raf, would you have anything to say? Well, before we jump to the next song, we still have like two, three minutes, probably more like two. Um, I'd like to speak a little bit about the opinion of uh, my interviewees about America. Mm. Um, they did not mince words. America is the asshole. Um, but uh, I think the primary reason for their an- uh, antagonism with, the, with America was, is the sanctions, because the sanctions have led to what is essentially a humanitarian crisis in Iran that nobody speaks about. Mm. People are starving, medical supplies are, are running out, and uh, the, peop- the people are extremely dissatisfied. So, yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's one part of, you know, American influence in the region that is extremely disturbing. And it does not have the impact of a new, of an explosion of a, of a missile being shot but it actually arguably leads to much greater losses and as long as we have this kind of political situation with the uh, with with the regime tightening its hold on the on the country and uh, america ha- imposing sanctions 
people will continue to be hungry. Yeah. And more radicalized as well, like over time, like the, such, such periods often lead to yeah, being exposed to more radical thoughts as well. Next revolution. Um, Do you think it would happen? That's extremely optimistic because uh, optimistic. the Iranian government controls all media. Mm. They filter the internet. You cannot access any of the websites you access on a daily basis. Facebook, Twitter, everything is blocked. Well, Iranian revolution happened with just cassette tapes huh? in the 19th century. It was a different so. time. Mm. It was a very different regime. You cannot really equate these things. Um, I think we'll speak a bit more about this uh, a bit later in the episode about the future. Mm-hmm. But uh, one thing that w- one thing that my interviewees did mention was that um, they don't know why America's there. They're just there because they they can be. Mm-hmm. And on that note, let's have some music. Oh, the music! Yes, the Zia Helios. Thank you very much. No more nerdy talk. <laughs> Let's jump into a final block of content about uh, Iran. I'd like to kind of pick up where I, where I was uh, shortly before the song and say that my interviews did not believe that there's much possibility for change in Iran right now. The regime has an iron strong grip upon upon the people, upon the region through its uh, sepah and the army itself, mm-hmm. uh, who are of course incredibly powerful. And the people have no access to weapons, no source for arms. They have no method of communication. None of the traditional channels, many of the other channels are difficult and there's constant policing of the, uh, uh, by the state. So, of course, uh, any meaningful change is difficult. This is what 
this is what my interviewees believed. And I'd like to now pass the baton on to Shoki for his conclusions on this topic. What's yes. the future? Yeah, uh, I'm more a bit concerned about uh, uh, the escalation. Uh, we've seen the killing of uh, Soleimani, the right. downing of the of the plane. Of that's the plane. We, we that didn't even mention to, that, uh, and that was yeah, mention uh, the, 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 that's also more like a focusing event, uh, like mm. uh, that would also uh, bring up uh, on board uh, other uh, uh, Western. Country, so to say, right? Canada, uh, most prominently. Yeah, yeah, Canada, most probably, and then uh, we have the nuclear deal, uh, mm -hmm. the the, the, uh, the new uh, dispute mechanism that would. Right. Uh, that. How long do you think would it take Iran to get their get them nuclearized, weaponized for it? Because it's all talk, but like. Yeah, but <laughs> I have no idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have, When do I have we no see idea. the, the I'm, second I'm, uh, sun? Yeah. Yeah. I have no actually idea about that. Uh, mm. What I most uh, do is that uh, analyze uh, these waves uh, from the international relations mm -hmm. uh, perspective and how uh, things uh, would go. Uh, looking uh, also taking into account uh, the, the historical context in context in which the issues uh, arise. Right. So, uh, so coming back to my point, uh, uh, the, the downing of the plane. Uh, the nuclear deal. Yesterday we had, uh, as I said earlier, uh, the Europeans uh, uh, came with, uh, uh, taking a step. But the EU High Representative uh, Joseph uh, Porel, who said that uh, that this dispute mechanism uh, was not to reimpose sanctions, so we are not expecting uh, any new sanctions coming from the at least from the European uh, European countries, including the EU. I guess that's a relief, but one must wonder what is the influence of no more sanctions from the European Union? Because mm. what matters is what countries Iran has meaningful trade relations with, not who gives who has sanctions and who doesn't. Yes, yes, that that that's right. But uh, we know that the EU also has a role to play. Of uh, course. Uh, that it has uh, the, the very important uh, role. It's the one. Uh, the EU is the organization that has uh, made uh, it started existing through like similar yeah, things. Yeah, the like nuclear uh, deal possible right. Mm. Right, right. with the US, absolutely uh, uh, with uh, Germany also, and uh, 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 what we now see. Uh, Russia already uh, condemned the EU move. Mm -hmm. yeah, about the dispute mechanism, warning that this might uh, or this might cause uh, an escalation to the situation. Right. So we have now uh, three scenarios. Uh, we have mm -hmm. the killing of Soleimani, we have the downing of the Ukrainian plane, right. and we have uh, the, 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 the recent uh, the dispute mechanism. And right. also uh, the, from the European missile attack uh, by Iran. Yeah, indeed. So from the, all this. Uh, 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 Events are from the West, mm. so how uh, now we have to see uh, how uh, China and uh, Russia would uh, react uh, to this. Well, Russia mm. already reacted that, that this mm. uh, might cause an escalation, uh, uh, and that's something we don't want to see. No. So it feels like But a Cold War standoff, essentially, in a way, between the West and Iran, kind of, and like other powers. I think I think we have, we have three minutes to go, guys. By the way, so the Cold War throughout, and at this point, and with this, I'd like to bring the bait into a, uh, to uh, Tico.
for any ending comments, any conclusions? Yeah, I will try to to, to uh, conclude very briefly. The first thing, this is my message to the West, Western people, Western governments. There is not only one path of modernity. Hammering the Western model onto Iran meant that we're replacing a reactionary Western puppet by a reactionary autocratic regime. Mm-hmm. Islam can be very compatible with modernity, but the people have to select the path their own way. The next issue is Qasem Soleimani. He is a butcher. He is a murderer. He's responsible for the deaths of so many people in Iraq, in Syria, in Yemen, in Lebanon. Nevertheless, the killing of Qasem Soleimani by Donald Trump is a gift to the ruling class in both countries. Absolutely. In the U.S., for obvious reasons, because it will enhance the power of Donald Trump, might get him reelected, might shift the public opinion into more war and terror, etc., etc., which only feeds into the elite and the Republican in the United States. But interestingly enough, in Iran, the killing of Qasem Soleimani is also a gift to the ruling class because it gives the Iranian government complete justification to go in and smash any working class popular uprising in the country uh, by accusing them of being backed by the US. The protests were happening in Iran already in 2019. Now Iran is going to call all these protests Western-backed and go after them and butcher all of them. I think there is bright future for the region because the core power, the US of the Middle East, which is Iran, is being threatened at the moment by the Iranian people, most importantly, not only by by, uh, the American government. So I do see some hope for social movement in Iran from the working class, but also from Kurdish people, which are a huge ethnic minority in Iran and are trying also to push for social change against the regime of the, of the, of the, the Islamic government. Uh, so I do think at this point that the people of the Middle East are really open for a lot of solutions. Mm-hmm. They're really hoping to see a lot of change. And this is a message to Western governments, but also to the, to the governments of the Middle East, Arab nationalists and the Islamic government. Yeah. The people of the Middle East have the olive branch in one hand and a clashing golf in the other. Don't let the olive branch drop. Thank you. Thank you, Tico, for your wise words. I'd just like to conclude with a quick message from uh, one of my correspondents. Stay with the people of Iran. Support them. Be their voice. Believe that the government does not represent the people. And with this closing thought, I'd like to pass pass it finally to Raf, yes. who can conclude the Hello episode. Again. Yes, well, thank you all for fantastic discussion. I wish we had more time. Actually, next month we may get more hours, so expect longer Fingers episodes crossed. in the future. Floating um, on the airwaves. So since we are really running a lot on time and we want to present you one fantastic song as well, um, quick cultural agenda. Um, on the 19th, we have Activist Burnout Workshop. If you are activist and you face like mental burnout, you know where to find support. It happens in the in-between at 6.30 on Saturday. There's also a game night in Café Rosé, um, that's tomorrow from 7.30 onwards. And Superstar Stravinsky, Meet Maastricht with Philharmonie Zuit, also on Saturday from 7.30 at Theatre on Wrighthof. Sounds great. As always, a big thanks to Code043 and RTV Maastricht for enabling this, enabling us to speak on this incredible platform. Mm -hmm. I wish all our listeners a great week and hope to see all of you next week again. Thank you. Thank you all. Yes, as for the song, our last song is one by, let me have a final look, by ML Matuli. It's from a documentary, Noland Song, about Iranian musicians in exile, from what I understood. She was nominated for Nobel Prize as well. Now I'm a nerd. Thank you very much. SRM out. Sucker, 
Ik heb het warm praten gedaan, Jos. De Moorshoed Valkenberg, daar wil dan weer een commercial lotten opnemen. Moors auto's gaan er het Valkenburg. Ik ja. snap niet dat hij een reclame maakt. Dat, dat kent toch iedereen? Jo, en tot de VRO Fokwa garantieert, dat werd ook iedereen. En tot ze dat een leerauto kreeg, dat werd ook iedereen. En dat telefoonnummer, dat kent iedereen dreumen. 043 609 09 09. Dat kent ook digitaal, Jos. Digitaal, Pierre. Digitaal? Ja. Oh. U luistert naar RTV Maastricht. 87.5 op de kabel, 107.5 in de ether. Dit is Francis Dix met het Radio Nieuws. Vliegtuigen zullen zo'n 10% minder stikstof uitstoten als ze gaan taxiën op stroom. Dat meldt het Rijksinstituut.